So we've been talking about keys to kingdom, things that, that can help us unlock truths and, and keys are also made to lock things up that prevent you from doing dumb things. And the older I get, the more that I, and this is the truth, the more I appreciate God locking me out of things, the more than him unlocking things for me. When we first got in church, we said, oh God, unlock, <laughs> unlock the east wind and blow in the locusts. I mean, you say dumb things like that, but. But now then I'm, I'm saying, thank you so much for not letting me go there. Thank you through prevenient grace before I even was aware of you, was even on the planet that you kept things from happening to me. It was his divine grace. Not only is grace that saves us, but it's grace that, that has kept us before we made a commitment to Christ. And after we make that commitment to Christ, it's the same grace that'll keep us until we move into another kingdom. So this question came up about two weeks ago. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish forgiveness next week. Uh, why it's so important to forgive? Because it, forgiveness is the oil in the church. If, if you don't know anything about mechanics, mechanicism, it, you, you don't understand it. But James Taylor got it right. It's, it's the squeaky wheel always gets the grease. And sometimes what happens is, is forgiveness is the oil that keeps us from locking up. Because we can get overheated and mechanical parts can get overheated. That's why we put oil to lubricate anything from locking up. And I will tell you, we'll finish it next week about forgiving one another as God commands us. Because if we don't, we all every once in a while get overheated. This section really does. I know y'all. I know. This is, this is that section over there. I have to keep an eye on them. But forgiveness, it seems to lubricate us that we can flow effectively and, and keep the, the divine motor and divine engine from, from locking up. And so we'll close out next week about this. It's a wonderful thing. But somebody asked a question, and it, it's, if I'm going to talk about the keys of the kingdom, so here's, here's preschool 101. As a new convert, where's the best for me, the best place for me to study the scriptures to help me grow in God? That's a great question. It's a great question. And it's an honest question. For a new convert or even those that are young in the faith, where is the best place for me to study the scriptures to help me grow in God? And so before I answer that, I'm going to give you another answer. I'll tell you where you should never go. Revelations. Now, how many has been serving God more than like... Three days. I mean, we, we, okay. Why is it? Why is it that you're so intrigued with revelations? When you don't know anything about the gospels. Why? And why do we encourage people to, oh, we, we come down and people get born again. We say, here, brother, first thing you do is read revelation. That's the last. That's like me taking Alex to the meat processor plant right before we go to Burger King. That's like handing a first grader a piece of chalk with Einstein's theory of relativity. Say, here, figure this out. I stay way away from it. I know a little bit about it. You know, I know a little bit about it. You know that. I mean, I know something. I just don't talk about it. But 
But why is it, and, and, and I'm going to say this to you, we know even at the Council of Trent, the revelation was, was omitted until the Council of Trent, it was brought in by one boat. I mean, I mean, there was a place and a time period that they wouldn't even allow in the canons of the scripture. You didn't know that, but that's truth. And, and so five books in the New Testament was omitted and some was brought back, but Revelation barely made it. I'm not, I'm not belittling anything. And so one, somebody said one time, well, well, Brother Joe, the Bible says that if you can't add away, take anything from the Scripture. That's not what it says. It's dealing with the prophecy of Revelations. But if we're not careful, this, this church, if we're not careful, why I stay away from it is because it can bring division and contentions among the believers. Because you, just like the book of Job, if, if you want answers, do not read Job. There's no answers in Job. It's all questions. So why, why, why do you do this to yourself? I mean, about plagues and bowls and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm not against it. I know it's in the scripture, but it, it's, it's a very di divisive trick of our enemy to bring up revelations and what it will do. It will draw lines in the church because it's all, you know, people has made Millions or billions of the invisible and the unknown. From Hal Lindsey on up, they've had to retract all of his books and prophecy books. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I'm not against these. I know they went on to be the Lord, but, but we're, we're making me and we're merchandising the anointing of God. Why can't we just deal with factual things here? If you'll deal with factual things and stay out of revelations, you'd be better off. It's kind of like that India vegetable I ate on the cruise. I should not have done that. And we'll talk about it later. Gayla said, you better not. I said, oh, it won't bother me. Oh, brother. So if you're a new convert, if you're barely in the church, if, if you're just new in the Lord, stay out of revelations. Now, if you have questions or concerns about it, I'll talk to you about it. I'll tell you anything you want to know. We'll, we can talk about it. Somebody said one time, let's talk about the book of Revelation. I said, let's don't. Now, we want to have a side class, maybe. But I'd rather deal with things that are actual and factual that will help you in your everyday walk with Christ. That's what you need. So where do we go? Very simple. What was Jesus's first lesson on earth? And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. So if it was his first lesson that he taught, then evidently it should be our first lesson that we learn that he taught. That would make sense. So the word Beatitudes, this is Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, and Matthew chapter seven. This is what we're going to refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, or the Beatitudes. Beatus was a Latin word. It means kind of like a beneficial, favorite of, um, you're blessed, you're happy. The Old Testament word in Psalms is ashir. It means to be envied of. Blessed is the man's. Psalms 101. Ashir is a word that means to be blessed, you, to be envied of. It means when people see you, they're envious of what you have. Did you know this morning that's what as the exit of, of, of Moses out of Egypt. Did you know that's what God said all along? I want the world to see that my hand of blessings is upon you, that they'll be envious of the God that you serve. Amen. 
And so the idea of this is that we have to live in modesty and balance, and we know this, but the word beatitudes, or it means where we get a word for, there's no, there's no scripture of beatitudes, but the beatitudes is what I refer to as the beatitudes. Makaros is the Greek word. Now the beatitudes, because this is the first lesson that Jesus taught, then Mark, it should be the first lesson that you take. So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, all, the, all that stuff is, is great. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But if Jesus saw fit that this is the first sermon that he would teach, then it would just make sense for us that are struggling with biblical principles. This should be the first lesson that we take. Yes. Absolutely. So this is going to be so simple. Turn to somebody and say, even you're going to get it this morning. This is so simple. <laughs> There are eight Beatitudes. Beatus, Latin. Eight Beatitudes. Four that pertains God dealing with us and four pertains for us dealing with others. The number four in the Bible is the number for balance. If we are going to have a balanced Christian life, then we have to understand that the number four we have balance in this life, understanding of what God has done for us. And then we receive balance in our life when we reciprocate that generosity to other people. Balance. So these eight are very important. Now, are, are we going to go through eight of them? We are not today. So just go ahead and breathe and relax. It's okay. But if you allow me that on this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12, we're going to read this in the Message Bible. So do me a favor. When we're reading this, kind of don't look at another version, get caught up. You can look at it at home. You ought to be doing it at home anyway. But just look at the screen. This is wonderful. Let me take my glasses down. This is, this is the Message Bible. Let's read it. So you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Stop there. Has anybody ever been at the end of your row? You found God's office, didn't you? So he said, you're blessed. You're, you're more happier. You're fulfilled when you're at the end of your row. Contrary to what you've been taught, that the more you think you've got it, I got news for you. You don't got it. You don't got it. So you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you. There's more of God in his rule. Keep it going. Let's go. You're blessed when you feel that you've lost what is dear to you. Only then can you embrace by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. And that's the moment when you find yourself proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. And at the moment of, of, of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get inside your world, your mind and your heart, and it's put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. 
And you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you really discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And you're blessed when you committed commitment to God provokes persecution and the persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, but he counts yourself blessed every time people put you down and throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. But you can be glad when it happens. Give a cheer. Even though that they don't like it, God says, I do. And all of heaven applauds and know that you're in good company because my prophets and witnesses have always gotten in this kind of trouble. The closer you get to God, the more you're going to make the world a little bit uncomfortable. We should never surrender our commitment and our values to try to get the world in here. That's not even biblical. The reason why we come in here is to learn about God, to honor God, to glorify God, and then we are go out to live this kind of life into a world. And hopefully they'll see a difference in our life that they'll want to change as well. And he said, you're blessed, you're, you're favored, you're happy, you're satisfied. It's a word called beautiful. Beauty has everything to do with the complexion and then full. I'm full of God's beauty. That's what this word basically means in the Latin. I'm full of God's beauty. I'm blessed. So Jesus said that blessed are you when you're poor in spirit and bankrupt because these things belong to you. So this morning, what we're going to do is that we're going to take apart the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7 the first lesson that he taught. So here we go. Matthew chapter five deals with our motions, what we do. Very simple. You can take all of Matthew five, and we are, and it deals with our motions, what we do. Matter of fact, it deals with being a good example. It deals with righteousness comes only from God. It deals with the freedom of forgiveness and forgiving others as well. Matthew 5 deals with do not make promises that you won't keep. And Matthew 5 closes with learning to control your temper and your tongue. That's what Matthew 5 deals with on the Sermon on the Mountain. And I will tell you, that's a pretty good start to learn. Forget about speaking in tongues and laying hands on the sick. Learn to control your temper and your tongue. That's a great beginning. So Jesus begins here with Matthew 5, our motion, what we do. Anybody here went to the first grade and passed? Welcome to the second grade. Now then we're going to Matthew 6. We step up another step. Matthew 6 deals with our motives, why we do what we do. Matthew 5 dealt with what you do. Now, Matthew 6 is going to deal with why you do what you just did. Matthew 6 deals with demonstrating modesty. Being honest in our giving to God. He deals with where and why we pray. Matthew 6 deals with where and why we fast. And he closes out Matthew 6 confronting hypocrites. 
This is what he deals with. And I will tell you that he was, he was surrounded by, it's a Greek word called hypocrites, but it's hypocrites. It's people who wear a mask and that could be either way. So he's, the second lesson he gives them is that why, why do you pray? And he gives them the answer because you want to be heard. <laughs> why do you want to fast? We, we, we know this, but there was only one day that God ordered and set aside for a day of fast. One, day of atonement, one. One, day of atonement, one. One a year, one. By the time Jesus was here giving this lecture, they were fasting now 105 to 107 days a year. Hello. Why did we, why did we add 104 days? Anybody got an answer? Does anybody have an answer? Nowhere in the scripture they've been commanded. They were commanded to, to fast one day a year. But now then they're fasting 105 to 107 days according to the calendar. And they always fasted on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And Tuesdays and Thursdays was not in the scriptures. Tuesdays and Thursdays was market days in the city. So everybody on Tuesdays and Thursdays was come to the market days and the, and, and, and the Jews, the religious Jews said, what a great time to show us our, our piety. It's a comic strip. So they put on sackcloth and ashes and they paint themselves up and paint it down and moan and wail and, 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 and the public would go by and say, look at, look at, look at their devotion to God. Oh, they really must love God because what they were doing. They, so Jesus said, he's dealing with why, you, why, why are you praying? And, and if you do pray, why do you pray that over a loudspeaker that people has to hear you like, now hear this, Lord Almighty. You know, why do you do that? So when you read this, because, Mark, you're, you're wanting to know. When you read this, he's dealing with, there's nothing wrong with praying. We want you to pray, but, but you don't have to pray in, in, in where everybody has to hear you to, to make you sound like the, the songbird of the church. If you want to pray, just pray. Pray going down the road. Danny and Sherry, when they drive on vacation, Sherry's prayer life really increases when he drives. I understand. She sings near my God to thee all the way back and forth. So why do we do, why, why do, we do what we do here? Why, why, why do you think I'm a little different? Why don't I have altar calls? Matter of fact, uh, uh, Larry McGinn, you know, they moved to Pennsylvania. He said, he said when are you going to have an altar call? I said, I'm not. I'm not. Nowhere in the scriptures do we have any scripture where somebody's given a message and somebody says, I see that hand. Jesus never did that. The Apostle Paul never did that. He never, he, he never encouraged anybody to come down and do certain things that we burnt records in the book of Acts, but I understand trinkets and goblets and stuff like that. But this is what I'm telling you. Here, here it is. If, if you love Christ, I don't really don't care what you do around an altar. And I'm not against, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just telling you, an altar is a place of death and people are coming down there and they're not dying. 
that God told me this long time ago, 25, 30 years ago, and I stood up and told the people, I'm not having an altar call anymore because you people are coming down there and you're not dying. An altar call is this. Two comes down and one goes back and one's dead. They're, they're, they're not dying. They're, they're, they're going back fully alive, fully full of flesh and full of sin. So here's the deal. What I'm trying to do is, is to eliminate a lot of 104 or five days of added, of added fasting and, and long prayers. If you love Jesus, here it is. Just follow him. You don't have to carry around a sign or wear a badge on your lapel. Just follow him. Now, if you want to come down and, and, and make a, an outward confession of your sin, I'll meet you here. I'm not going to say, go back. I'm not going to do that. But here's the deal. If you love Christ, follow him. Isn't that what Jesus did? He said, follow me. Just mimetis is a word. Just, just do what I do. So in Matthew 6, you see what he's doing? He, he's, he's cutting the motive. He's, he's laying it wide open. He said, why do you pray loud? Matter of fact, in, in the giving, remember, they had a brass box, had a big brass box. And, and every time they knew that people had a lot of money, like, oh, who's got a lot of money? Philip, he's got a lot of money. What they would do, they knew he had a lot of money. So what did they do? They emptied out the brass box. That way the gold coins would hit and it would really be loud. Yeah. Jesus said, why do you do that? Why do you pray long prayers? Why do you do that? He said, your father is just as close as your whisper. So here in this small church, what we do is we're trying to, we're trying to talk about motives as much as we talk about motion. And I said this one time. That if, if you do something in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to feed the street people, feed them. But you don't have to feed them when the television people are there because not only are you feeding them, but you're feeding your ego. Help somebody. You don't have to have a newspaper standing over you. You don't have to have a TV camera in front of you. Just help somebody. Do something. Because when you have to have these people supporting you and surrounding you and put your name in the paper... Matthew chapter six says, not only you did something, but you did it with the wrong motives. Matthew chapter seven is now then our maturity. It deals with being disrespectful to godly things, making wrong choices. He's telling us to beware of false teachers and learning to build our lives upon the rock of Christ rather than the ever shifting sands of man's opinions or religion. So Matthew 5 starts small. Matthew 6 begins to, to, to require you motive. And Matthew chapter 7 deals with maturity. And so the Sermon on the Mount, these, these three chapters is really where you need to begin. This is where you need to begin. And just study and read it. If you don't understand it, I'll help you. Just write it in a card and I'll help you. I'll help you. But these three absolutely that will help you kickstart your life with Christ. Now, we have to talk about this because it wouldn't be right if I didn't. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says this. So he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find it. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Every prosperity preacher in the world has used that and beat that in the ground. So some of you have been here long enough, you understand what I'm about to do. Or if you haven't, just pay attention this ask, seek, and knock. This is the acronym to the key that unlock everything in your spiritual life. This right here. 
It has nothing to do with a bigger house, a bigger car, a better husband. It has nothing, well, that, well, never mind. But it has everything to do. He slips this in in chapter 7 on maturity. He waits till you get to the maturity chapter and he slips this little verse in and, and you have everything. You think, well, this is, this is, what this means is, is I've got to pursue God and look for God and search for God. And once I'll find him, then I got to knock and aggravate the fire him like the, like the woman that, that knocked on the, the judge's door till he gave in. That's not the way that God says you operate. So this ask, seek and knock is an acronym. So let me, in, in seven minutes, let me tell you what this means. The word ask, aito in the Greek, by definition, it means to become fully dependent upon another, to rely, to rely completely on someone else. The design of asking was to build a bond of relationship and trust between both parties. So before we, before we leave here, John 15, verse 7, he talks about my father is the husband of the garden. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remember what he says? And he said, and if you abide in me and I abide in you, you can ask anything and it'll be given to you. And so in the English framework, we get this idea. So if I abide in him and I am and he abides in me, then I can just ask God anything and he'll give it to me. And that's not so. Because there's some things you don't need. My grandson, Alex, had a whole wish list. He wanted to go meet the captain. He wanted to go touch the propeller. He, and he, he wanted to join the French Foreign Legion. You know, he wanted to do all kinds of things. The word ask is the same word, aitos. It means this. It means something that is required of, but it's, it's given without asking. So remember we talked about Jesus talks about agricultural more than he does anything in parables, parabolic form. So anybody here ever raised a garden? Yes. And you're pretty good at it. I mean, you didn't raise them to kill them. I mean, you're pretty good at it. Okay. Has your, has your, has your vegetables and your ears of corn ever, you went to the garden and the ear of corn said, hey, I need some water over here. You provide what is needed in your garden without the asking of the crops. animals. You, you feed and facilitate your animals without them speaking English or Spanish. Your lawn, you mow your lawn without it screaming, mow me. When you come into maturity in the kingdom of heaven with God, you don't have to waste time begging and pleading on dumb things with God. He already knows what we need. He may not give you what you want, but he will give us what we need. And he gives me what I need, whether I ask for it or not. That's maturity. And so you're going to say, well, how will God know if I don't tell him? You need your children's church right now. You're... You need to go. He knows our heart. He said to Jeremiah, before you even ask, the answer, he, he said, I already know what you want. I already know what you need. This word asking has everything to do with a relationship between two parties to build a bond of trust. Psalms 131, 1 and 2. This is the message Bible. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. 
and I don't want to be king of the mountain and I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on, on the ground and I've cultivated a quiet heart like a baby is content in his mother's arms and my soul is a baby content. Now the King James calls it a winged child. And the reason why that's so important is because if it's a winged child, it no longer nurses from its mother. I want to say that to you slowly that took a nap. The King James said, I've quieted my soul as a winged child. A winged child is no longer needing the supply of his mother's breast. But for a period of time, the mother gave everything that child, what he needed close to her. Now watch this. And isn't it amazing that when the milk dries up and he no longer needs mother's milk, he still wants to be close to her, not for the milk, but for the relationship. And it still holds true today in every mother that I know, basically. There's some exceptions. But no matter how old my, my boys are, they still love their mother. There's something wonderful about that. And this is the way we become with God. And I need you to hear me loud and clear that, that this is not a place that we can make up a wish list and say, here, God, I'm going to hold my breath till you give it to me. I, I don't suggest that. But because God has blessed me with certain things and God has provided certain things. But now then I come to him, not that because he can give me something, he gives me himself. And it's in his presence that I find fullness of joy. It's in his presence I find peace that goes beyond understanding. The Apostle Paul said, it's not in his presence that he'll give you a link in a new set of golf clubs. He said, in his presence, he'll quiet your soul. We come to God this morning, not that he can give us something. We come to God because we love to be in his presence. And David said, I've learned to quiet my soul sitting in the presence of my mother because she knows what I need and she'll give it to me when I need it. And we too, as Christians, Matthew chapter seven of maturity, this is where we need to start all over. He already knows what we need and I'll tell you what we need. Are you listening to me? We need him. A new car, a new house won't make you happy. A new hairdo won't make you happy. A new husband, a new wife, more money, uh uh-uh. The only thing that will satisfy you deep down is him. Period. So that's what he's dealing with. Number two, seek. Zetos is a word by definition means the development of the mind. So the first thing in, in asking is this. I don't have to ask. Now, if you want to ask, I don't care. I don't care. But here's the deal. God knows what you need. My grandson, Bus, I've never, I've never known him the last year. He turned one year about a week ago. I've never known him to say, hey, mama, fill the bottle up right there. She knows what he needs. But the second one is called seek. The word seek doesn't really mean Zetos. It doesn't mean like looking like we're looking for Diego. It means it is the expansion and the development of the mind. The Greek said calls it, it's the expansion of one's education. To increase intelligence, to read and follow instructions. These signs that we have learned, that's going to help us in life. Enter, exit. That's very important. 
Please say amen. amen. Here's a good one. Men's restroom and women's restroom. That's very important. I'll tell you a story, but I ain't going to tell you because you'll never mind. Caution, danger. Alarm will sound. One way only. Yield. That don't mean anything. Stop. Unleaded fuel. Diesel fuel. My sister-in-law one time put diesel fuel in my brother's Toyota car. She pulled up. I thought it was on fire. He said, my, it's on fire. We run out there. Well, she filled it full of diesel. It's a long story. But anyway, she had a blonde moment. It's important. And the last one is, yes, we're open and sorry, we're closed. This is the difference between a customer and a criminal. So you're going to say, so what's the big deal about this? And here's the big deal. The signs that we've learned, we have expanded our education. Now, Alex did this a lot. He said, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I said, just don't touch it. And, and, and the ship said, if you open this door, the alarm will sound and a shark will come in and bite you. He didn't know the difference, so he wasn't going to take that chance. But what you, you see that is, is primary and silly, it's not. Seeking is expanding your education. It's increasing your intelligence. By seeking your, the things of God, what you're doing is, is that you are, you, are, you're, you are adding to your resume the things about God. And now then, as we go through the scriptures, you'll understand what X and inner and men's and women's restroom, you, you'll see things in, 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 in the Bible that will make sense to you with a little help. So the word seek means to, to endeavor into, into education. I want to know more. And that's the very thing that I've asked God to give me here at this church. I, I wanted to know more about him that I could teach you more about him. I just don't want you to take my word for it. I want to increase your education. I, 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 want, to, I want to stretch your ability to learn the things of God. And by doing so, it will help you later in life. And the last one we're going to close is called knock. Cruel. And cruel, by definitions in the Greek, it means confident or assured of. The lexicon calls it being confident as a result of the development of our thoughts and reasonings. The more that I learn, the more that I'm confident I become Lee Trevina said, the more I practice, the luckier I get in golf. You see, cruel, confident, I'm assured. How do you become confident and assured? It's through Zetos. I'm studying, I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm expanding, I'm developing. I want, I want to expand my education. I want to increase my intellect in the things of God. And, and the more that we know about God, and Paul said, more than anything, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know what the scripture says. I want to know what they mean. I want to know where they apply. I don't, I don't want to just try to guess and, and shake a, a crystal ball and say, what does it mean? I want to know because the more that I know, the more confident that I am. I won't always be with you. 
Jesus said it, I won't always be with you. And I won't always we be here. And, and that'll be a happy day when I'm gone and you can bring somebody else in there. But I'm telling you, while I'm here, I'm going to teach you the mechanics of how to change a flat on a car. I'm going to tell you that the motor's in the front if you own a VW, but it's confusing. So don't buy a VW. It'll mess you up. I want to help you make sense of the things of the scriptures. That's my job. So by definition, the more that I learn about signs and what they mean and how they work, the more confident I become. How many can truly say, some of you have been here a long time, Gayla's been here about the longest, Melissa, but how many can say in about the last 35 years, I know you've come from other churches. I know you have, I, I'm, and I'm glad you come. We've sent some back. We kept you. Thank you for coming. But how many can truly say, I, in 35 years, there was one time I remember I learned something new. And, and I thought he was nuts when he said it. And I got mad when he said it. And, and you could cook an egg on my head when he said it. Because it, I touched your golden calf. I, cut your do, I touched your religion and your doctrine. Ooh, did it ever make them mad? But when you went home and investigated, you found out it was true. See, the more you expand your educations about things, the more you become confident. You become confident, not arrogant, confident. And the more confident you become is the more confident that we will be when we go into a world that needs to know Christ. Because I can send you out right now and say, go witness. And you go, okay. And, they, and you meet somebody and you go, you need to know Jesus. And they're going to say, why? And you go, I don't know. Somebody just told me to go. It was really kind of funny. I was going to set Mark up. He was working me one time. And there was a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. I don't know. I think they were Jehovah's Witnesses. They were coming. Two women. I saw them coming. And me and Steve was working. And I told Steve, I said, watch this. I'm going to sick them on Mark. And, and I really was. Oh yeah, I'm 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 horrible. And and you know what? They I watched them, and they and really we were working on this house, and I didn't tell him. And I watched them go two or three houses, and you know what? When they come to our house, they got in the van and drove off. Mark, God saved you. I'm telling you. <laughs> so. <laughs> So here we go, knock. 1970, I think 70, 71, Cook's department store put in a store here where a lock supply is. They put in a store in about 1970 or 71, I think they came in, it, it turned into Walmart. But on the front door, there was something very weird. They had automatic doors that we had never seen before. Never seen them. I've never seen one. My sister-in-law went to work there. She said, come here, I want to show you something. So we went with her. My brother was in Vietnam and she went to work there. And she, we walked up to this door and it just opened up. And here I was about 13 and I couldn't believe it. I thought Jesus Christ came back and gave us the gay stuff, the pearly city opened up. And, and I told her, I said, that is weird. How do they do that? 
Now then it's just old news, isn't it? But at that time, it wasn't, it was new. And had a great big Philip, had a great big sticker on that sign that says this, the door will open up one step before you reach it. So when you go to Walmart today, and I don't advise it, but when you go to Walmart, that door that, that blocks you from going to get what you need, it will not open up when you pull into the parking lot. That door will not open up, Mark, when you get out of your car. That door will not open up when you're 50 feet and you're going to say to me, look at there, they're closed. They're not closed, just keep walking. That door won't open up when you're five feet from it. It won't open up. And you're going to say, we're not going to get in. I'm going to tell you, keep walking. And one step, she opens. Matthew chapter five, Matthew chapter six, and Matthew chapter seven is dealing with maturity. Ask, seek, and knock. And this is what he says. You don't have to waste your life begging God for stuff. He already knows what you need. Why don't you seek the things of God and seek his word and understand the counsel of his love for you and his will for you? And the word knock, the acronym is, is that when you do, no matter what door you face that seems to be closed, watch this, I'm telling you, it'll open up one step before you get there. Just keep pressing towards the, the high calling of Christ Jesus. That's maturity. I don't know what you got all going on in your life, and I'm sorry if you're going through some things, but this is what I'll tell you. Just keep pressing towards Christ. Just keep trusting towards Christ. And if you don't get what you want, just keep pursuing towards that thing. And I will tell you, as you continue to head towards Him, every door and every obstacle will open up for you. That God will always be there when you need Him. Ask, seek, and knock. Here's your sign. So where do we start? We start here. We start with these simple Beatitudes, four dealing with God with us and four dealing us with others. But the key is Matthew 7 and 7. Father, this morning that, that we are your people and we love you. And some of us have been serving you for a long time. But one thing as David that some of us can surely declare that we have been young and now we're old, but we have never known the righteous to be forsaken. You've never left me. You, you not always gave me what I thought I wanted, but you, you always knew what I needed. So in this lesson this morning, as we go home and we begin to glean through the Sermon on the Mountain, help us to understand that it's levels of, of maturity that we're trying to reach. That not necessarily it's just what we do, but why we do it. And then now that we learn, it brings maturity in whatever that we do.
but I'm going to quiet my soul for the rest of my life. And if you never heal my body again, you have done more for me than I've ever deserved. If you never answer another prayer for me, you answered the greatest prayer I could ever ask is to be forgiven of my sins. And I'm good with that. And I'm not going to kick and scream and whine like a baby. I'm just going to sit in your presence and be content because, Father, it is you that I need to be in your presence. And if I can just be in your presence, everything else will be all right. And while I'm in your presence, I'm going to learn your ways and I'm going to seek your word and I'm going to study your scripture and I want to know your character and I want to expand my education and I want to increase my, my intellect concerning you and your ways. Therefore, that I can knock or I can be confident wherever I go because of you. So, Father, this morning for everyone that is facing a, a wall of opposition, a closed doors of challenges, whatever it may be, I pray this morning through this simple sermon that they will continue to press towards you. And every door and every obstacle will be open for them. Just one step before they hit it. That's a promise that you've given us. And for these things, we give you thanks. In Christ's name, amen. Stand with me this morning. Give the Lord a praise offering, if you would, please. The Lord is good this morning. Now, here's the deal. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, today's the day. No man can come to God unless drawn by the Holy Spirit. We know that. John 6. I'm not going to call you. I cannot call you. But if you feel the Holy Spirit calling you and you're needing change in your life, that's God. So submit to the calling. Repent right where you are and say, Jesus, I can't even make you promises because I can't keep them, but I, I want to follow you. And I want to quiet myself and trust you. I want to learn about you and I want to be confident in your ways because it's, it's your presence that I need in my life. That's what we have to offer you this morning in this church house. Communion service, if you'll make your way, please. You don't have to respond to this, but are you more confident than you was 10 years ago? And the answer is yes. Are you learning more of God's word than you did 10 years ago? And the answer is yes. And are, are you learning to trust him more and quieting your soul unlike a kicking, screaming brat child? Yes. That's God. That is ask, seek, and knock. That night Jesus sat with his disciples and he took two sacraments that they were very used to, the bread and the cup. He took the bread and he said, 1,500 years ago, you've been celebrating the Passover, the first Passover with the unleavened bread. John 6 says it like this. 
your fathers in the wilderness did eat of the bread that my father rained down from heaven, but they did hunger again. But Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if any man eats of me, he will never hunger again. And then he took the cup and he said, for centuries you've been celebrating the Passover, sacrificing of the ram and taking the blood and put upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. But Jesus said, now I am the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And tonight my Father will take my blood and place it in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. And if any man take of this, this bread and this cup, remember me. We celebrate Holy Communion every week because we're here to remember Jesus. So Father, bless this cup, bless this bread. Help us to grow into you. Help us to be confident in you, but help us to be quiet and content in you. In Jesus' name, amen.